Welcome to Run to Thrive, a show for runners who are ready to live, lead, and run with more energy, engagement, and enjoyment in their everyday life. Each episode, you'll gain insight, inspiration, and motivation, and hear from leaders, influencers, and everyday heroes who run to fuel their success in life and work so that you can learn how to thrive on the run and beyond. I'm Matt Mills, a professional life, leadership, and running coach. And I'm so excited that you're here so that you can discover how running can help you step into your greatest potential and develop a stronger body, mind, and spirit. Ready to go? Let's get moving. Whether it's somewhere you live or have never traveled to before, it's surprising how much of a city or town or any other area that you can experience just by running through it. It can be an exhilarating adventure to explore the city roads, the country hills, the undiscovered landmarks, the coasts, the landscapes, and anywhere else that you might only be able to travel through by foot. It might take some courage to explore an unknown route and the road less traveled, but experiencing that sense of adventure is something that can bring more meaning and fulfillment to your runs and also get you out of your comfort zone, challenge you, and help you grow in unexpected ways. This was something that my guest today, writer and filmmaker Gavin Boyder, has experienced in his extraordinary running adventures, particularly his journey running over 2,300 miles across Europe along the route of the Orient Express, which he details in his beautiful book, Running the Orient. In our conversation, we talk about what went into making this ambitious adventure a reality, how he was able to successfully complete his journey with the help of his family, friends, and a van named Roxy, and the life-changing lessons he learned along the way. Gavin's journey is a testament to the transformation that's possible when you set your mind to achieving audacious goals, and his adventure is one that will inspire you to strive to find more meaning in your life through your own running adventures. Ready to go? Let's get moving. Gavin, welcome to Run to Thrive. How are you today? I'm absolutely fine. It's uh, great to be here. I'm so excited to be talking about your story and your awesome book, Running the Orient. But first, I, I'd love to ask, is there anything that you're training for right now? I think I have put my name down for a, for a, a collection of races. Whether or not they'll go ahead, there's, I think there's like 100K. And there's a, I, I did put myself down for a virtual version of the London Marathon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you know, every year I'm either just too disorganized to enter the ballot or to be honest, you've got like a one in 20 chance now of getting in through the ballot. So I decided I'd do the virtual version. So I've got to figure out where my 26.2 mile route is, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, not nothing specifically as, as of this instant, really. I know we're still in that mode of the virtual races and I, I think everyone's eager to get back out there. I know I am. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, when they start having proper large-scale races again, they're going to be so insanely oversubscribed. <laughs> it's every race is going to be a lottery. Well, let's dive right in because I'm really excited to be talking about your experience hmm. running the Orient. So in 2018, you ran from Paris to Istanbul, which is a 2,300-mile or 3,700K journey following yeah. closely the, the Orient Express train route. And you did this with the support of your girlfriend or Adna and your dad at parts. 
traveling mm. across Europe in a retrofitted bongo van named Roxy. <laughs> and right. you you document this in your book, Running the Orient. And I, it was awesome. I really enjoyed it because basically it felt like it was part travelogue, a training journal, a guidebook, a how-to, and a personal memoir. Yeah, I tried to cover as many, as many um, what's the word, areas of the book buying demographic as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, no, and it really it made it such a fun read. You've been running since you were 34. And what yeah. you call this, this, these kinds of adventure is this long distance adventure running. So what was it that got you started running and into long distance adventure um, running? Yeah. Well, I progressed as a runner from running for exercise to joining a local club. And then I don't know if you know, but you know, if you're a member of a club, whether or not you want to race, they end up sort of pulling, pulling you into races. So I did some cross country and then I did like five and 10 Ks and things. But what I discovered very quickly was that I'm not, I'm not a super fast runner. And I was, and certainly starting in my mid thirties, I was never, I was not going to get faster mm-hmm. uh, or not noticeably. So I decided that um, I would try and run longer, you know, which is, you know, as, as you know, as you get older, particularly yeah. into the thirties, your, your ability to endure long distance running goes up. Uh, mm-hmm. for a while before everything mm-hmm. starts tailing off. Uh, I did a few marathons and then I sort of stumbled upon these when I was training for a marathon, these people that were running in small groups of two and three, and they were sort of jogging along, but they were wearing yeah. t-shirts that said train to town. And I thought, train, that's like 40 miles from London. They're not running 40 miles, are they? Yeah. And I asked a couple of race marshals, and they said, oh, yeah, not only that, but um, tomorrow they'll be going back the other way, some of them. <laughs> so it sort of redefined. I'd, I'd not even really heard of ultra running at that point. So I went to the local bookstore and uh, found books by Dean Karnazes and Scott Jurek mm-hmm. and thought, wow, this is a thing, especially in the yeah. States. And I kind of got hooked on the idea, but I hadn't at that point done one. So then I got into, um, I ran 100K from London to Brighton, which is a really beautiful route over the South Wow, Downs. yeah, I bet. Um it was agonizing, of course, but um, I kind of really enjoyed it as well. And I thought, I like this uh, because of what I hadn't expected was that you have peaks and troughs of endurance. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it would be a sort of downward spiral into despair, but actually it was more like, oh, this is a struggle. Oh, it's getting easier. Oh, this is a struggle again. Oh, no, it's, it's fine. I thought, well, I like doing these races. and um, But again, I feel like the pressure of competing against other people take some of the pleasure of the exploration of the mm-hmm. scenery and the, you know, the hearing the bird song and sort of experiencing new places. I wanted to see whether I could apply this long dis- this new ability I discovered to run long, long distances to some form of travel. And that naturally led to John O'Groats to Land's End, which is a sort of a well-known challenge in Britain because, you know, our island is just over a thousand miles end to end along the roads and longer if you go a more scenic route as I did. And I thought, well, maybe I could, I could run all of Britain. How many people have done that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's sort of what, that was the first challenge really, was to mm-hmm. see whether that was possible. Um, and it took a lot of planning. Um, and I, at that point, I had 450 hours of footage, but um, that, that was an amazing experience. What it sounds like is that, so you did the run across Britain and I'm sure that that once you did that, then that probably motivated you to think, okay, what's the next big challenge that I can can undertake? So what was it that inspired you 
to take on the journey of, of running the Orient? It actually came from, weirdly enough, a book signing event. I went to, um, I went to see Dean Carnazes giving a talk on his book, A Road to Sparta. And mm-hmm. he'd been a big inspiration for my ultra running. So I, it, I thought it'd be great to meet him. And I wanted to give him a copy of my first book. Uh, I'd mentioned him in the book and I wanted to mm-hmm. give him a signed copy of my book. But unfortunately, I, by the time I got talking to somebody who was an editor of a running magazine uh, called Like the Wind. It's excellent, by the way. I don't know if you can get it in the States. But mm. I got so interested in my conversation with him that by the time I joined the signing queue, I was, I was way at the mm. back. And Dean's a really nice guy and he was giving everyone five minutes or three, two, three minutes or something. So while my girlfriend's waiting, you know, on her phone board for me to get to the front of the queue, which takes about an hour. Yeah. Um, her brain is kind of whirring because she's thinking, well, because I wasn't with her when I did the downhill from here running, uh, running the length of Britain. So she's thinking, well, if I'm going to do something with Gavin, I don't want to be out in the middle of the, um, you know, the Appalachian mountains or something in, right. in a van by myself, you know, listening right, to owls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, she was trying to think of something that could combine her love of travel and amazing parts of Europe with something that would be a challenge for me to do. And it, she just remembered that the first uh, transcontinental train was, I believe, um, the Orient Express in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. And because I'd run the length of Britain, she had this crazy thought, could you run all of Europe? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I get to the front of the queue and I'm signing, I'm, I'm meeting Dean and having a photograph taken and, and it's really lovely. By the time I get back to see Aradna, she's sort of, I've got an idea for your next project. Do you want to run the whole mm. of Europe? <laughs> wow. And I thought that must be a long way. But it turned out if you follow the Orient Express route, which starts at Paris and finishes at Istanbul. Yeah, yeah. About 2,300 to 2,500 miles, depending on how you run it. Um, yeah. I suppose you could run it quicker, but I wanted to visit all the station stops on that line. So mm-hmm. Paris, Strasbourg, Munich, Vienna, Budapest, Bucharest, and then finishing up in Istanbul. At first, I thought it was a crazy concept um, because it was more than twice what I'd run before and it would take months and months. And I also thought, how on earth are we going to afford this? Because we can't, yeah. if you add up the cost of, you know, hotels or something, it would just be undoable. And the idea of she didn't do tents, so we weren't going to be staying <laughs> under, ca- under canvas, you know, for, for months on end. Right, right. So that the next challenge was the logistics. When, once I bought into the idea... Uh, the next big challenge was logistics, really. Yeah, and what was it that helped to to bring that from that idea to a reality? Well, again, it's coincidence. I suppose um, there were a lot of fortuitous little or serendipitous little happenings. So the first one was meeting Dean Carnazes and Aradna having the time to think about Dean's talk and think about Europe and think about potential adventures. And the second one was um, going up to uh, see my family in Edinburgh at Christmas mm-hmm. and, and discovering that my sister Fiona had a camper van for sale. Although she called it a camper van, but actually yeah. it was an eight seater van where the seats do fall down at the back to make a sort of bed, but it's incredibly basic. Mm-hmm. But then she said, there's a whole community of people that convert these vans. You know, they rip out the seats and they build an interior or they pay yeah. a company to put in a pre-fitted interior. So we did a bit of research online and we found all these YouTube videos of on the whole van life community about which you could devote a podcast series. Yeah. Um, sort of opened up. And then we'd realized that actually, yeah, if 
if I bought this van for my sister for very little money and we put approximately the same amount into refitting her, we would have a support vehicle that would also be our home and it would save us a lot of money and it would allow us to, to stay anywhere, you know, to just pull off the road and conceal ourselves in a <laughs> little forested area and, and sleep wherever I ended up, well, roughly whenever I, wherever yeah. I finished running. Just on the side of the road, you can sleep, <laughs> sleep where yeah. you run, and yeah, you don't have to worry about the rain and and too much of the elements. Although you did throughout your trip, yeah, it's not it's not luxurious because it, not being a purpose built camper van, it doesn't have you know the niceties of life like heating or a, right or a bath or a, a shower or or a, to- a toilet or anything like that. So yeah, you have to sort of make do. <laughs> Well, and I don't know if they're popular in Europe, but there's the this idea in, in the U.S., an increasing popularity of tiny homes where mm. people are basically having homes that are within only a couple of hundred square feet. So really, really tiny spaces. And so the van, it seemed like you were creating your own tiny home uh, and that you were going to use for the few month yeah. trip. Yeah. And, and the great thing about this van there's, there's two great things about it one is it's small so it looks it's, it's no wider than a normal car right so it's very manu- very maneuverable and secondly uh it doesn't look like a, a, an rv or something it's um it looks like a domestic sort of you know it looks like a person carrier whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it and it's got a, a pop-up roof so it's got like a hydraulic mechanism that lifts up one side of the roof into a kind of tent so actually if you put a bed downstairs, as we discovered, like a sofa, a, a couch that rolls out into a bed, you can mm-hmm. you could potentially sleep four people in this vehicle. Oh wow! Yeah, and then not that you you'd want to. Want to. <laughs> it's not comfortable, but you, yeah, you could. We also discovered if you want to be very surreptitious, if you say you, know, you need to spend the night in a city, um, just park up somewhere and sleep in the van. You can mm-hmm. you can keep the roof down, and it just looks like a parked van. There's all the windows are have smoked glass. You can't really see inside. So we also bought, we also had, um, you know, curtains and things you'd stick up to, to cover the interior. So she was very secure and very, didn't leave much of a footprint. Right. So that, yeah, that made sort of camping by stealth was, was how we did yeah. it. Really. <laughs> yeah. The van, it, it served you well. And I know that obviously there were moments that it needed some repairs and, and all mm. of that, but it really, it got you through and you were able to run through and, and have all of these adventures throughout Europe through your running. And there you're dealing with that fatigue and, but mm. you're also, you're, you're traveling and you're exploring these new routes. You also want to appreciate those moments of community yeah. that you experienced and also those moments. And you document a lot of this throughout the book, that new adventure. And you actually, you talk about that idea of seeking meaning through adventure. Mm. And I love that. And it's almost sort of like a mantra. And what I'd love to know is like, what, what meaning do you get from taking these adventures? Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's any better way to understand the world around you than to run, run through it um, or to travel on foot. And of course, if you're running, you can pass a lot more of it under your feet than you would mm-hmm. through walking or hiking. It's, it's just a very natural human activity to run. It's mm-hmm. what we were all born born to do, as Christopher McDougall points out in his book, Born to Run. It's right. just we we are our most human when we're running. And we we have a sort of affinity with 
the, the other mammals <laughs> that are around us when we're running. And I just, I just found that what I loved about the trip was discovering unusual little places and villages really off the beaten track, bits of wilderness that, had, you know, where there'd been houses and roads that had fallen back into nature and things like that, that you just never encounter through any sort of pre-programmed tourist experience, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why I sort of describe it as adventure running. It's not sort of a ultra running in the sense of uh, running a, a known route with a lot of other people. It's the opposite. It's really, it's running yeah. an unknown route by yourself. The only meaning that I, I, the meaning I get out of running is that, it's just that feeling of being more viscerally alive, I think. Yeah. Whether it was through running through all of uh, these towns and cities in the countryside, from what it sounds like is that you are experiencing life to its fullest. Yes. And I'm glad I did that now because uh, when you think back to the last year and even the few months ahead, it's been so, Mm -hmm. the world has has really dwindled and shrunk for everyone to the space encompassed by their their homes and their workplaces and we we can't travel we we can still run though and we can still have limited adventures but when you get the opportunity to to stretch out like that you know to to go somewhere new and run run a route you've never seen before it's it's an amazing thing yeah uh, and and yeah i guess being um having that taken away does make <laughs> does make the value of it all the more real yeah and there's always these challenges that come our mm. way and even on your journey, there were these challenges that you experienced, whether it was getting lost and losing direction, everything that was funny and scary from running through a nude park and dealing with feral dogs and worrying about bears and also just that normal fatigue. There were a lot of these challenges. Mm. So what was it that helped you keep going uh, in those moments when you felt particularly challenged? Sometimes it was the banal promise of food or uh comfort at the end of the of the uh, particular leg but yeah we tend to break it down into concrete finite steps so I would just say to myself I wouldn't say to myself oh gosh I've got 30 miles to do today and I'm exhausted I would say all right so in the morning I'm going to run to this town and I'm going to be able to run through this lovely forest and that will be fun and even if my legs are aching I'll, I will find that the pain diminishes and the ability to run increases proportional to what I fill my head with, you know, that's, that's pleasant and diverting. So some of the best moments in the run actually coincide with some of the highest levels of fatigue, I think, Mm. weirdly enough, because yeah, I mean, I was at times I was, I slowed down to the point where I had to force myself to put that bounce back into the step that makes it run rather than, rather than a hobble. But I always made sure I did that because I, I wanted it to be a run. I wanted to keep moving and uh, there was always plenty around to distract me and entertain me. So yeah, I can take entertainment from watching a bird hop along a fence, you know, if necessary, I can, I suppose you might even call it mindfulness. Is that, is that ability to sort of just live in the moment and have all the experiences uh, come through you and then, and focus on it, on each one and enjoy each one. What is it that you were telling yourself in those moments, especially those times when you felt like you had nothing in you, what brought you back to that mindfulness? I suppose it's, um, is it the Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist saying that all things will pass. So mm-hmm. even the le- no matter how fatigued you are, that feeling will pass. And it, it may not pass today, but it will, tomorrow you'll wake up with a renewed store of energy. 
but also unpredictably it can just happen I, I would have moments where i thought i had nothing in the tank and then a mysterious second wind would would occur i suppose maybe logically what was happening was i was shifting from glycogen to uh burning yeah. the fat reserves so that mm-hmm. might have been it I just i'm just coming out of the wall you know of the other side of the wall and my body's now using a new fuel source i mean you can remind yourself of the science behind it that that you know, the body has reserves, endless, not endless reserves, but considerable reserves uh, that most people would never have any reason to access. Right. Uh, and then there's the more esoteric, you know, philosophical premise that things, pain passes. Pain is a temporary state of, state of mind. And if you distract yourself from it and just keep going, uh, you'll be okay. You, you will survive. And I think that that's a lesson that, people can take not only through running, but Mm. in other times that are challenging for them in their life. Yeah. Running is just in a way, well, long distance running. So almost like an arbitrary pushing of yourself into that painful place that most people spend most of their lives trying to avoid. Yeah. With that, when you were running and you were doing about 32 kilometers a day, which is about 20 miles every day, yeah. but you also had this support system around you. You had mm. your girlfriend, Aradna, and then your dad at moments, and also Roxy, <laughs> the man. Yeah. So what, what did it mean for you to have those people by your side and have that system of support around you? Oh, it's uh, yeah, absolutely essential. You know, it, it was, yeah, it was another, definitely another, another way of keeping going is to know that you're going to have a friendly face to greet you at least halfway through the day and at the end of the day, because I, I tended to meet my support van at lunchtime and then in the evening. But yeah, I mean, Aradna th- initially naively, we both thought that she would have a lot of free time to explore. Yeah. And no, 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 because she had to, <laughs> she had to navigate, she had to plan, route, help me route plan. She had to find somewhere to stay for the night. She had to buy all the food. She had to buy fuel. She had to source water. You know, there were there were a lot of complicated logistical tasks to uh, to undergo um and then she had to sort of figure out where on earth i was and whether i was okay yeah so the having that person frees me up just to run you know to run and see things and remember it take notes in the evening and photographs i haven't yet tried to have and i'm sure this will happen fairly soon an an entirely unsupported adventure run yeah that would be a whole different different kind of level of endurance i think Well, that's the thing is as runners, it's important to have that support. You know, you're out Mm -hmm. there on the road all by yourself, but as you mentioned, it almost seemed like she was working as much as you were in a way to help make sure that you were able to, to be successful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I didn't even mention feeding me, (laughs) which was of course (laughs) a constant, uh, I need a constant conveyor belt of calories yeah. And yeah, I think five to 6,000 calories a day. So wow. um, yeah. doing that and, and cooking in the van is not the easiest thing. You know, we have two gas rings and a, and a grill that is very temperamental. Just the logistics of getting, and getting enough food in my system and then stocking up again was, was, was a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Support, support is everything. Even if you didn't have, even if I hadn't had her there, the amount of work that she put in before the adventure in terms of logistics and spreadsheets and budgeting and everything else. So I don't, I don't really believe that anyone ever has a fully unsupported adventure run because they're bound to be supported in some sense, you know, 
either yep. they've got social media or they've got pre-planning or you know there's something that's gone into this yeah. that's not just from doesn't not just come from them you're never just running by yourself even no. though you're taking the steps but everything around you whether you're running a marathon or even a 5k or if you're out doing a virtual run there's probably mm-hmm. someone or something that's helping you get by yeah, yeah and even in a 5k think how much faster you're going to run with all those other runners around you than you would that's right if you just attempt right. to go on a track a track by yourself exactly it's going to help push you along the way yeah yeah and yeah. for long and for marathons and stuff it's all about well if that if that guy can run faster i mean he looks about 75 then yeah. surely i should still be running <laughs> yeah another thing that i love about the book is that throughout the book you have these tips for other people who might want to engage in in their own type of journey or adventure I think it's great because your story is inspirational. And so a lot of time, and especially now, you know, people have read, you mentioned Born to Run and other books that have now fueled this ultra running boom. And I'm sure your book will inspire people to do the same. (laughs) Who knows, maybe you'll start a movement of people running the same route. What do you think is the most important tip that you would give to anyone who might be motivated to want to do a long distance adventure run like this? I, I think it would be don't skimp on the planning. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. don't, don't skimp on the logistics uh, because the last thing you want is to end up in some disastrous scenario being rescued by a helicopter from a mountainside, <laughs> which almost happened to me once um, in my journey groups to Land's End when I went the wrong way around a mountain Oh wow. uh, in, the, yeah. in Scotland in October wearing lycra and, night, and the sun was going down. And yeah, I'd ended up having to basically swim a 40 foot wide river <laughs> and I, I think I came pretty close to complete disaster on that trip and it was because I had no mapping technology I didn't have a satellite phone I didn't have even a Garmin satellite communicator I learned a lesson from that one so this this time around I bought myself a Garmin SE Explorer so as soon as it as long as it has a direct line of sight to a satellite and there's about 100 of them then you can send a message. So you can tell someone you're okay, or you can say, I help. Yeah. <laughs> it's got an SOS, it's got an SOS bon- button on the side, which apparently will bring people to your aid from whichever affiliated uh, recovery service they have. Um, so that, that kind of thing is essential. Just have, have safety nets and plan. Mm-hmm. I would say the two big things, because yeah. then again, you just have, then you can concentrate on enjoying the run without constantly worrying about what, what the next day is going to hold. Having that plan. It's so important for every run. You know, it's hard to just mm. show up and think everything will, <laughs> will work out. The, and then there will yeah. be bumps along the road, but the more that you can plan ahead, then that's going to help make the journey more enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, in, into that plan, you have to build a certain amount of flexibility because. Right. Like if you're, for example, if you're mapping a country, you know, map, a route in a country you've never visited and i'd only been to france i hadn't even been to germany let alone romania uh you'll turn up and find that whatever route you've planned isn't possible and i had to stitch i'm stitching together segments of a route so wherever i am that's where i'm running from regardless of how difficult it's going to be yeah to get through the next bit of terrain so you almost have to plan for the unforeseeable which sounds like a complete contradiction but uh you're sort of i suppose you're minimizing the chances of the things that you can plan for going going awry and then you only have to focus on these surprises 
the flexible plan, <laughs> plan yeah. for the unexpected. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For the unexpected. Yeah. So basically you were taking a chance on this and doing this big thing. That was something mm. that was really unique and different, something that you hadn't done before. And so I think there are a lot of people out there who, who might be listening, who they want to take that chance and they want to do these big things, but they don't know how to, to take action on it or where to start. What would you say to people who, who want to take on these big adventures, but they're not really sure how to start taking action? You know, enthusiasm is going to carry you through, really. And there's two ways to engender enthusiasm. The one is to start looking at maps, you know, start reading up about the places that you'll be running through, because then you'll just be so excited about, about the challenge. Um, and that will carry you into the, over the hurdle of making the commitment. The other thing is, and I got this from a friend of mine, Chris, who's also an extreme runner at times. He said, whenever he has a crazy scheme like this, he'll just go on social media and tell everyone you know, that, yeah. he's planning, that he's planning to do it. And then he has to do it because of it's accountability. The fear, yeah. The fear of embarrassment and um, of letting people down. Um, so weirdly enough, committing to the project publicly is, is going to stop you from chickening out as well. Just getting really enthusiastic about it and reading up about it, watching videos of people running through that, the, the landscapes or just as much as, as much as you can find out about what you'll be experiencing, I think. There'll just come a point where you've done so much research and so much work and so much and got so excited about it that it's just going to have to happen. <laughs> really, what it sounds like is make the unknowable a little more knowable yeah. and then take action, you know, keep, take, yeah. take ownership of it and just start yeah. taking those steps. Yeah. yeah. Tell, the, tell those friends who will give you a hard time yes. if you don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Enlist some accountability partners that, yeah. that can help. So I know you learned a lot from, from this mm. journey and I'm sure from running. What did, did it teach you about being a leader in your life that others might be able to learn from running as well? Well, I playing the long game as a creative. I'm, I mm -hmm. work as a, as a freelance copywriter at the moment, but I'm trying to sort of progress into incredibly competitive fields like um, uh, fiction writing and film. And I've made one feature film I've published now two memoirs and lots of short stories, but it's a long, slow, agonizing process. So <laughs> the thing I've learned is um, the bigger your dreams, the bigger the store of perseverance you're going to have to build up. So running just makes you the kind of person who's able to persevere, I think. One amazing thing that's happened recently is that my, my little sister, um, I call her my little sister, but she's now 40, but uh, <laughs> she, was, she was never a sporty person at all. She was never, as a teenager, she was pretty much a couch potato she never, never looked like she's going to be the kind of person to get into running. And then suddenly, and I'll have to ask her exactly what happened, but mm. about a year ago, she just started running and she's completely hooked now. We haven't had a chance to run together because of the pandemic, but um, she gets up at six in the morning and goes running in the cold. And wow. <laughs> I, d I don't even do that most of the time. I'm not really a morning person, but um, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how somebody can become sort of hooked into this amazing, this strange cult-like world of running. Um, and I think mm -hmm. what it gives you is this, it gives you this knowledge of what you're capable of. You think, well, I would have never have thought that I could do this thing. And here I am doing it. And, and, it, and it's sort of quite, it's contagious. You know? Yeah. People sort of think, well, that's amazing. How did you do that? And, and they sort of become inspired to not necessarily to run, but to, to sort of embody that, that degree of perseverance, that ability to just keep 
staggering on. And yeah, with with some with some roles in life, you're just going to have to be a hell of a lot more determined than everyone else around you. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think creative job creative roles are like that. You know, um, anything in the arts field, people fall by the wayside because they can't handle it. They can't handle the rejection. And they can't handle the, the the gap between where they imagined they'd be and where they actually are, which is always there's always a gap. Yeah. Um, unless you're spectacularly lucky early in life. But look at someone like J.K. Rowling. She's now like one of the biggest writers and uh, fellow Scott, of course. You see, he said proudly. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's one of the biggest writers in the world. But until she was in her, I think, late thirties, she hadn't really yeah. had any degree of success at all. No. Um, but she just kept going. She just kept believing in herself and it paid dividends. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. Start believing in yourself and have that perseverance. Yeah. I think a lot and, of runners would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And look out for bears. <laughs> <laughs> that bears is something that will never fail anyone. Uh, yeah. So Gavin, I've really enjoyed talking with you and I would encourage everyone to read your book because it's so much fun. I love travel and you you really brought your travel and your adventures to life. And so I would encourage everyone to read that. So I'm curious to know where is it that people can find your book and and also follow you and, and what you're up to? Yeah, well, um, at the moment, because all bookstores seem to be shut, um, mm. and I'm not sure it has uh, paperback distribution yet in the states because of the mm-hmm. timing. came out It came out in 2020, so the best place to get it is probably online. So, well, what I would re- recommend people do is, if you can get it through your local bookstores online ordering system, then do that because then you'll be supporting a small business, helping yeah. bookshops survive. Yeah. Um, but if you absolutely have to. Uh, put some more money in the pocket of Jeff Bezos, then get it on Amazon. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And if you actually, if you are able to order from the UK, my publisher, Great Northern Books probably still has some signed copies. So if you order from Great Northern Books, I think you can just Google that. They they might send you a signed copy. And I'm on um, at Gavin underscore Boiter on Twitter. And my website is uh, just gavinboiter.com. So... You can read about all my various crazy projects there. <laughs> yes, I know. And I can't wait to hear about the, the next adventure that you are going to embark upon. Uh, yeah. Gavin, this was really great to chat with you and, and talk through all that you learned through your adventure. And so I want to thank you for, for coming on and chatting. And I can't wait to see <laughs> where your feet find you next. Yeah, well, maybe I will end up on the Appalachian Trail. You never know. (laughs) If you do, let me know. And and I will make sure that you get a plenty of support from everyone here (laughs) in the States. That would be amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I will catch you on the run. Thanks again for joining us on the Run to Thrive podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you're interested in learning more about how you can live, lead, and run at your best, visit coachingontherun.com and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Coaching on the Run. And if you like what you heard today on Run to Thrive, please leave a review and remember to subscribe to receive new episodes as soon as they're released. Until next time, I'll catch you on the run.